chapter of John. I will make haste and preach quickly. John chapter 14. I want you to write these words down. These are the words that I want you to remember this holiday. Here are the words. You're not alone. You're not alone. I want you to remember that. Some of us seek to be alone. Some of us can't stand being alone. Some of us are alone. But you're never alone. In John chapter 14, Jesus tells His disciples of the Comforter. He gives them comfort. He speaks to them of oneness with Him. He introduces the parakletos, the paraclete, the consolation, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, He said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And a little while the world will no longer see me, but will see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. When Jesus Christ was brought into the, te the temple in Luke chapter 2, there was a man named Simeon. And Simeon was full of days. Simeon had lived through many holidays and festivals in Israel. He knew there was only one thing he wanted in his heart. And that was he wanted to see the promised one that had been mentioned and spoken of 400 years prior. He, he wanted to see the one that the oral tradition said would become the helper and the comforter and the advocate for the nation of Israel. He was a man that endured the suffering of loneliness. He was a man who endured the station that he chose in his life to patiently wait to deny himself and to believe for something while everyone else had forgotten and moved on with their life. He was the one who watched the temple 
and saw the sheep gate and saw them taking in the lambs to be offered at the slaughter. He is the one who saw the smoke rise. He is the one who heard the priests come up on the Holda gate on the south side singing the psalms of ascent. He was the one that saw the religious and their phylacteries. He was the one that saw the emperor's men and the Roman guards walking through the temple square, leaving and riding their horses, leaving that which does not belong. He was the one that saw the, the temple tax and the usury and the extortion of the poor and the broken. He was the one that saw the denial of the women to enter into the courts of praise. He was the one who had no one inside of him or outside of him. And he sat there year after year after year. And one day, Mary and Joseph come in with a baby. And there on cue, Simeon, however old he is, rises up, his beard now white and the top of his head probably bald. Stands, he covers his head with his prayer shawl. And he looks down and he says, I have seen the light. I have seen the helper, the comforter, the advocate. I have seen the consolation, not only of my soul, not only of my desires, not only of my future. I have seen the consolation of my people, Israel, for I have seen the Lord. Now read John 14. The Lord is about to leave. The consolation of Israel is about to leave. The helper, the advocate, the comforter. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. For I am going away, it is necessary. Because I am going to send someone who is not going to be just outside of you. I'm going to send somebody who's not just going to manifest his presence to you. I'm going to send somebody that's not just going to illuminate what you see regarding me. I'm going to send somebody to you that will never, ever leave you alone. His name is the Spirit. The word is paraclete. It is the same word that is used by Simeon when he says, I have now seen the paraclete. I have now seen the consolation. And Jesus goes on in this passage just teaching these men who are having to come to grips with, Jesus, you're leaving us. We have had no preparation 
for you to tell us you're leaving us except that you told us at Caesarea Philippi that you're leaving us, but we didn't understand that you really mean you're leaving us. And Jesus says, I really am. But you will know I am sending the consolation of Israel, God's Israel, into your heart and He will bear witness to you that you know Me. He will bear witness to you that you are with Me. He will bear witness to you that I am with My Father. And He will bear witness to you that where I am with My Father, you are also with My Father. He will comfort you. Comfort each other with these words. Loneliness is so hard. But in Christ, beloved, you are never alone. A donkey could walk up to you and speak to you at a gas station and quote the Word of God and you would know it is of God. Because inside of your own heart, it bears witness to God. You'd say, I would be amazed at seeing a donkey talk. Turn on the television. You are benign to it by now. Can I get a witness? Oh, me. The donkey, the tempest in Job spoke. And Job didn't listen. When it spoke again, it was a raging storm. Job listened. When those three characters in Job heard God speak, they listened immediately because they saw the tempest. They saw the storm, but they knew that that was the judge speaking to them, not a savior. These are hard times as we go to holidays and we remember there is somebody that should be sitting there. And it is, you would say, it is inappropriate considering our own loss to speak out. No, it is the most appropriate thing because we are the children of God. What we do not see now in Christ we will see again. I look forward to the day of seeing my mother and my father. I look forward to the day to seeing my friends. But I can tell you, I just look forward to seeing Jesus. You say, you want to see all those little Indian children that you and Bill and George and Don Haley funded through the Journey Church? No, I'd rather see George and Bill and Don Haley see their expression when they see it. And journey people's expression. I don't have expensive lights in here. I don't have an awesome nursery for you. We have 20-year-old toys. My wife won't let go of them. Said kids will play with them anyway. We have too many. I mean, 
They're even playing with Truett's toys now. The internet is filled with articles about that talk about the loss of loved ones. If you study the elderly and do research on the elderly, they will tell you this. Their rate of loneliness is far higher than the rate of loneliness of young people. That's not true. What is true, actually the research says, loneliness is high in the oldest people in the American society, but it is not even near as close to the loneliness of the young people. They're lonely. They feel that, that they are not, that these feelings are not fleeting and they are not made up. They are grounded deep within our brains. The University of Chicago, with one of its leading neuroscientists, had said when people are asked what pleasure contributes to happiness, the overwhelming majority rate love, intimacy, and social affiliation above wealth, fame, or physical health. They want to be connected. Generation Z, which is the age of my children, Generation Z is the most connected age group in the history of mankind. And yet it is the loneliest because the connectivity is not based in most cases on that which is true. It is a false picture of Instagram. When, it, when, I, was in, in, when I was a pilot, when I wasn't flying, I was taking pictures, and when I took pictures, I had to go to the dark room, expose the film, put it on paper, and develop it. And then we hung it and dried it, and then we turned the light on. Today, taking 35 millimeter photographs, you cannot do with them what you can do with a digital camera, and then spend all of your time airbrushing it. When I took pictures at weddings long ago uh, and didn't do very many of them because I don't like mother-in-laws. Not, not in a, as a wedding photographer, let me just put it, let me qualify that. I do not like mother-in-laws as a wedding photographer. The pictures I took were the pictures that were took. I had to know how to operate an f-stop. I had to know how to shoot the speed of the film because it was, you shoot it in focus or it's blurry and you get one time. That is an amazing thing now that has happened that you can go do photography now at a wedding and then go and make it perfect like a magazine. I'm grateful for that. My wedding pictures would look a whole lot better if that had been done. But my wedding pictures cost $600 in 1995. Today, you'd, you could pay the photographer $600 to push the button, but you pay him about four or five to do the image on the computer. And that is a good thing. I mean, used to, when you flew airplanes, you flew airplanes with an open cockpit. Now you can fly in a pressurized cockpit. Advance is good. But I'm going to tell you, above wealth, fame, and physical health, people do not want to be lonely. They'd rather be broken, broke, 
unpopular and poor than be lonely. It, by contrast, is also the bigot loneliness is its biggest detriment because with the high rate of loneliness, there are higher rates of depression. There are higher rates of depression. And why are these things happening? It's simply because of this. People are working very hard to make themselves lovable because they don't want to be unlovable. And consequently, people honestly try to oblige to be whatever someone wants them to be. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to act. They don't know when to step forward. They don't know when to retreat. In one way, that's understandable. But listen to me, and I will apply this biblically to you. In the weekly paper two weeks ago, here in Cook County, the lady that writes the editorial that everyone wants taken out, crucified, and stoned as a liberal wrote an article saying America is in a male recession. And I thought, the donkeys speak. A male recession. We have heard for the last 50 years about the patriarchy. We have heard for the last 50 years about male dominance. We've heard all about this. Now we have women fighter pilots and women submarine commanders. You would never ever put a woman on a Navy vessel. Why? We have a total role reversal. Hospital boards made up of more women. Uh, and all of it, you know, the Speaker of the House is that just retired. The first woman speaker, but she won't be remembered as the first woman speaker. She will be remembered for the crook that she is. And I've been to her district in Torrance. I've seen the district. She's probably the only white person in it. And you know what? She didn't live there. The crook that she is and a narcissist is replacing her. They're all narcissists. What do we do in the midst of this? You have the secular people are saying we're in a male recession. And this is, and listen, this is, I thought, was interesting. This, I thought, was fascinating. It says, you know what we need? We need to put male teachers back in the public schools. I thought, what? Where? Are you kidding? I want the women that nurture children, love children, you don't need a man teaching a kindergartner. You might need one teaching a freshman in high school or a sixth grader. Well, in fact, just a teenager, period. But when they're that little, you need a sweet, sweet young lady or old lady, whatever, that's going to nurture that child and teach them. There's a lot of social implications in this. But why are we in a male recession? Loneliness. So, listen to these words by Mary Oliver, and then I want to give you nine things to remember, and I will turn you loose. They're Bible verses for promises. The title of this is Loneliness. 
I too have known loneliness. I too have known what it is to feel misunderstood, rejected, and suddenly not at all beautiful. And still, I love you. And still, I love you. And I promise that no matter what happens, I will always love you, even when you feel alone. Because there's three more words you need to write down. You are not alone. And the other three words are these. I love you. How did Jesus prove it? You say the cross. Yeah, of course. But what was Jesus' name? What did they name him at the birth? Emmanuel. Why did they name Jesus at the birth Emmanuel? God with us. I used to think that was a Spanish word. The Emmanuel Baptist Church was the Spanish Baptist Church. I did not know that when I went to seminary. That showed, I didn't know squat. <laughs> I just knew Jesus called me. And I believed it ever since. But I thought the Emmanuel Baptist Church was where the Spanish people went to church. And I thought y'all would think that was funny. Or think it's funny because there would be a Baptist church called Emmanuel, God with us Baptist church. You know, listen to me. Jesus at his birth was called God with us, but it was at John 14 where he told them what Emmanuel meant. Because he says, I will be with you and God will be with you. He is your consolation. That will be the sermon on Christmas Sunday morning. We are having church on Christmas morning. I will be here. I will not be waxing long. And, uh, um, but we have to come to church on Christmas morning. And we're going to have Christmas Eve service too. Or I won't be here on Christmas morning because Kelly has been waiting to crucify me for a reason. And that is the one sin that is unpardonable. You must conduct Sunday, Saturday, Christmas Eve service. So we will. So I want you to, I'm going to give you nine promises to write down. I'm not going to explain them. And God willing, you'll be leaving at 1150. If you are feeling lonely, look at me. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. But you're not. But you're okay. And it's okay to feel lonely. It's a human emotion. Are you feeling lonely sometime? You know, you may be surrounded by people and you feel all alone. That's how I feel in a room of lots of people. If I don't have a purpose, if I don't have a purpose in that room, I feel alone. But I want you to understand something as I give you these promises. 
there is someone who has even paid the sacrifice for your aloneness. And it's Jesus Christ. Because in the moment that He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the loneliest cry of dereliction and experience ever experienced, past, present, or future. He took all of your loneliness at that moment. So much so that the Father in Him, the only word we have is the word forsaken. And when it was cried, the sun turned off. And for three hours, no one saw the nose on their own face. Have you ever thought about that? You think about on the cross of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty of the sins for the whosoever will believe, every single one of them, the very first thing that He did is He did it all alone. You will never be that alone. But I'm going to tell you why it's okay for you to feel lonely. Because Jesus felt it and He gave words to it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, in John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus says, You will never be left. As orphans. So hear these promises of Scripture. Just write them down. I want you to write down John 14, 16 through 18. That's our passage today. I will pray the Father, He'll give you another helper, that you may abide with the, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He will not leave you as orphans, and I will come to you. Listen, you never need to feel abandoned. You may feel lonely but you're not abandoned. Jesus promises to be right there. He's there when you're strapped to the radiation table. He's there when you walk into the funeral home for the first time for the viewing. He's there when you go and lay flowers at the grave. He's there when you sit down next to a person who has spent years trying to destroy you. He is there when you look into the eyes of the one you love and you think, man, I can't live with her and I can't kill her. He's there. He's there when you look in the face of an IRS agent or a banker calls you and He's there when you look even in the eyes of your enemy. And He is there. You are never abandoned. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's that quick. Number two. Psalm 46, verse 1. Listen to these words, beloved. God is our refuge and strength, a very, what? Present help in trouble. So many troubling situations in life can leave you feeling alone and insecure, but God is a very present help in a time of need. Number three, Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. The psalmist said, Even when those closest to you, to your heart, 
turn away. The God of love will remain with you, safeguard you, and tenderly look after your needs. You've been with one for decades, a generation, and they're gone. The Lord is still there. Number four, Matthew 28, 20. One of the great I am passages. The Lord says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As long as you desire His presence, there will never come a time when God will ever leave you to fend for yourself. And I might qualify that to say this, if you don't desire His presence and you are His, you just won't be aware that you're still not having to fend for yourself. And He'll bring a donkey along and show you the truth. <laughs> Number five, Psalm 147, verse three. He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. I have a friend I talk to regularly. Psalm 147, verse three. That's not the name of the friend. This friend also happens to be a doctor of psychology. And often when I'm just talking to this person, this friend, I say if I feel anything most of the time in my heart, it's just that my heart is broken. It's just a broken heart. Yesterday at, at Cracker Barrel, Sandra walks up and her eyes are long. And she's always happy. And she said, I need to tell you something. And she told me about her. And I gave her a sideways hug, you know, because that's what we do. And when she told me about her dad, boy, I tell you, I just went full bear. And I just pulled her into myself. I am so sorry. How can I help? We will pray for you this morning in our worship service by name. When you, God heals and He binds up the brokenhearted with, and He heals the wounds, and listen to me, friends, sometimes He uses you to do that. We're in this together. He uses you to do it. Number six, Isaiah 45, verse 10. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. I cannot even imagine the picture that's here. I mean, that's like a nuclear blast for the mountains to depart. The mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness will not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, saith the Lord. Isaiah 54 verse 10. God is so faithful that you can depend on His care and attention even if the mountains crumble down beside you. And when they come and tell you you have cancer, it is as if Mount Vesuvius were to raise up right there in the midst of your life and it explodes and you just think I am about to be covered in ashes. That was what happened to me the day I was graduating from high school. I was in the library. Mr. Fetner, the principal came and he said, James Truitt, you need to go to the hospital. Why? Dr. Gordon and your parents are out there. So I went and got in my car I drove to the hospital. I didn't know anything that was going on. 
My mother was crying. My father had a cut right here in his neck, and Brian came in crying. And he said, Jimmy Don, you have small cell carcinoma of the lung. It is already metastasized. You don't have long. We need to get you to Houston. And that afternoon, I had to graduate. Mount Vesuvius erupted. The greatest man I've ever known in that moment would be dead in 120 days. But in the midst of it, in the midst of it, there was a scar to remember. My hair had just been cut so short that night for I would be speaking at my own graduation. And my mom and dad looked at the scar of the brain surgery. And we together said Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that we learned at that time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And He shall direct your path. He directed our path even to the graveyard. Even to the graveyard. The hills were removed. The mountains were reduced to rubble. But God's covenant of peace remains. You will never, you're never alone. I love you. Number seven, Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God, and He heard my voice from His temple. My cry came before Him, even to His ears. You never have to feel that no one hears you, because your Heavenly Father always hears. He always understands. He always knows. He is always saying, I'm listening the question must be asked, are you? He's listening. Number eight, Isaiah 41, verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Now I want you to listen to this. Right now, Jesus Christ is seated on the right hand of God in the throne. The right hand of God is the hand of God's wrath. Jesus is sitting on that hand. This is indicated in the revelation. This is not God's right hand that is going to do this. This is the nail-pierced hand that is going to do this. And the beautiful thing is He does not have to stand up from the throne seated on the Father's hand of judgment because the work of Jesus Christ is complete and when men aren't working, what do they do? They sit. The work is finished. And so what does this mean to you and I? There is no place you are, have been, or will be that can go past the length of His arm. Loneliness will vanish when you realize that it is Jesus Christ Himself who is holding your hand. We all want the footprints in the sand story. But I'm just grateful He wants to hold our hands. Number nine, 
Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. This was sent to me the other day from another brother. Two weeks ago I sent a text out to my friends and I said, I am such a worm. And this was the reply. Deuteronomy 30 verse, 31 verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Brothers and sisters, the very creator of the universe is on your team because by His sovereign grace, He allowed you to join His. And He will never, ever leave you. So when the tears come and the memories and the reflections are made of those who have gone on before, those who are still absent and will not be returning, or there are those amongst the living who have turned away from the faith that you taught them. Remember, God is not finished. He who began a good work, He is faithful to complete it. And that work He is completing, He is completing in you. He says, for I, I, the Lord, the work I began, I will finish. And you will be able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think according to the power of Christ Jesus that is with you. And that you can do all the things He has called you to. And that He will supply you with all His necessary glory and grace in Christ Jesus. So be thankful, my brothers and sisters. You're not alone because God loves you. And He's promised so much more to prove it. Glory be to God. Let's bow our heads.